Welcome back to our look at the one-hit wonders we all remember. Today, Mark, we're going country. That's right, with Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. And did you know it received a triple platinum in Australia? Well, who would have thought? Well, let's boot scoot and boogie down and check it out. You know, Mark, they say the 80s are coming back, but I hope that haircut stays in the past. Me too. That's just a one-hit wonder of a haircut. Next up, we're wrapping up our look at the one-hit wonders with a book from the New Testament, Jude. It's, really, it's been great working with you. You should, we should work together and do a video. <clears throat> Seemed like such a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please. Well, for the last five weeks, we have seen the fun side of some of our pastors. I think we've got them all up here in a picture. There they are. A motley crew, for sure. <clears throat> it certainly cannot be said that we lack a sense of humor here. What can be said is that we lack a good sense of humor here. We've called this August message series, One Hit Wonders, and we focused on the five Bible books that have only one chapter, each one of them uh, just a handful of verses. And in terms of word count, we come today to the longest of the five, the next to the last book in the Bible, the prelude to the book of Revelation, the letter of Jude. And the author identifies himself in Jude 1 as Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So of the seven men that are listed in the New Testament by the name of Jude or Judah or Judas, those are all Hebrew expressions, variations of the same name, we can now identify the author. He is the full brother of James, the author of the little book of James in the New Testament, and he is the half-brother of Jesus who is mentioned in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. In other words, James and Jude were both sons of Mary and Joseph, so we get it straight, but they shared a common mother with Jesus, who was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we, we know little about Jude except what is revealed in this letter. He must have been a humble man, satisfied simply to be known as a servant of Jesus Christ, and the meaning of the word servant that is used here is the word doulos. It means bondservant. It's a reference to a slave who has been freed but willingly remains in the service of a much-loved master. That's Jude. 
How many younger brothers would voluntarily submit to an older sibling? (laughs) Now, this is evidence, in my opinion, of the deity of Jesus. He was worshiped as God even by those who were raised with Him. Jude saw Jesus at His best and at His worst growing up, and he concluded He's perfect. He is God. That's truly amazing. Now, look at the way He addressed the people in Jude 1 and 2. He says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And the message of this letter is for all of us who are sitting straight up in church today, because all we, like these early believers, all of us, have been called and loved by God, and all of us are kept by Jesus Christ. So His mercy and His peace and His love are ours in abundance, too, just like in their case. Well, Jude opens up with this very upbeat, positive, encouraging word. Start reading the first couple of verses, as he should, because the gospel is good news. However, sometimes you've got to talk about the bad news. Sometimes you just can't say what you believe. Sometimes you have to take a stand against what you don't believe. Sometimes you have to be warned, and that's what we have in this letter. It's got a bit of a negative accent. The message of Jude is a strong charge for us to courageously defend the faith. And what the half-brother of Jesus called the early Christ followers to do here, it's exactly what we need to hear. Exactly what we need to hear and what we need to heed this closing August weekend of 2015. And here's what he says to them. First of all, contend for the faith. It's in verse 3. Dear friends, and he repeats this three different times, very warm very pastoral, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Jude said he preferred to write to them about the salvation we share. That is, he wanted to be upbeat. He wanted to be positive. He wanted to be encouraging. But it was more needful, more urgent that He warn them and give them direction. Sometimes it's more important to do what needs to be done than what we want to do. And I'll tell you, no responsible preacher really likes to talk about sin and judgment and hell, and no one likes to hear dark messages about ungodliness or false teaching or judgment. We all prefer to hear inspirational messages that remind us of God's goodness and God's grace and God's blessing and God's help. Well, listen, listen, friends. A church that does not address the darkness and deception that are out there in the world today a church that does not tell the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment to come is failing to impress reality on her people, failing to share the whole counsel of God with her people. So Jude calls his readers, calls his hearers to contend. And the word from the ancients here is used to describe the physical agony of wrestling. Now, if you know anything about wrestling, you know that is a sport that is up close and personal. It is face-to-face. 
It is hand-to-hand. I think we got a picture of a couple of college wrestlers here. You can see it on their faces. You've been to a wrestling match, you know what it looks like. It is stressful. That's what I'm talking about right there. And I was raised with brothers. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. And uh, the younger brother managed to get a black belt in Taekwondo during his growing up years. And uh, my older brother had nephews that were about my age. So I'm telling you, when we all got together, his three boys, my older brother, me, my younger brother, we moved all the living room furniture back against the walls, and we went at it. And I'm telling you, it was not always fun. Sometimes it was hard work. Sometimes it got very intense, especially when my older brother got me in the leg scissors. Ooh. And that's what it is to contend, to wrestle, and we're to contend for the faith. Now, we don't contend for our personal opinions. You get that. That's not worth wrestling about. We don't contend for our traditions. We don't even contend for our faith. We contend for the faith, the faith that was, according to the text, once and for all delivered to the saints. So it's a revealed faith. God has spoken it. Jesus came and lived it out perfectly. He was full of grace and truth. He died. He buried. He rose from the dead. His apostles explained and proclaimed the truth. It's settled. It's not open to amendment or revision. And consequently, this rules out denominational pronouncements. This rules out dictums of church councils. This rules out pontificating religious leaders announcing something new and revised. We believe in, we stand on, and we contend for the faith, listen, once and for all delivered. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Have you done that? That's big. Then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So here we have Peter adding his voice to Jude. He is saying, contend for the faith, but do it without being contentious. That's what we do. We contend for the faith without being contentious. Listen, folks, the faith must be protected and propagated by each generation of Christ's followers. It's been entrusted to us to share with the world. And we contend for the faith by advocating it in our circles of influence, and we've all got a circle of influence. And we contend for the faith by sharing it in our circles of acquaintance. And we contend for the faith by teaching it and modeling it in our family circles. So contend for the faith. Well, what else does Jude say we need to do? He says we also need to confront false teachers. He says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who change the grace of God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. But dear friends, remember, in the last times there will come scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, 
who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So here we find that false teachers had invaded the church. Jude said they slipped in. And the word that he uses there is a word that means stealth, to do something evil. And it wasn't the first time there was a problem with false teachers. It certainly was not the last. Every generation has them in one form or another. And it was important then, and it is important now, that their presence is recognized and the dire consequences of failing to deal with them is revealed. They were counterfeits. They look good. They fit in. But they were not real. And Jude describes them as godless. That was an indictment of their character. You see, intellectually, they acknowledged God, but Jesus was not in their teaching, in the content of their teaching. He was not in their service, and He was not in their hearts. They used grace as a license to openly sin. Do you understand what that means? To use grace as a license to openly sin. That's like saying, I'll go ahead and sin because I know that I can repent down the line and God will forgive me. That's His job. Listen, friends, you go right ahead and live a life of sin that you know is morally wrong. If you're living a life that's morally wrong or if you're living without God-honoring priorities in your life and you're reasoning in the back of your mind, I'm going to straighten up and fly right someday. I'm going to sow my wild oats now. But I expect someday down the line, I'm going to be a righteous person. What you're doing there is making the grace of God into a license for immorality. Now, if you have a driver's license in your pocket, you produce that driver's license as evidence that you can operate a motor vehicle. And if you make the grace of God into a license of immorality, that means you're, you're suggesting that the grace of God gives you permission to color outside the lines and when you get good and ready to begin to do what's right and embrace what's true. And Scripture says that's godless. Listen, there is something that is blasphemous about perverting God's grace which is His willingness to forgive our sin because of Jesus' death on the cross, and we use that as justification to go ahead and sin. God forbid. Well, Jude also says that false teachers deny Jesus as sovereign Lord, and it happened then, and it's still happening today in this generation. And I've put together a little list of most, but not all of the groups in our generation that I would identify this way. They are Christians without the Christ of the Bible. Here they are. You see, first of all, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Moonies, Scientology, Unitarian Universalist, Transcendentalism, the Unity School of Christianity, Worldwide Church of God, Armstrong, spiritualism, the way international. Now listen, I've named names because I know that there might be somebody sitting out there and saying, well, I wonder who he's talking about, these, these people who've slipped in and they have displaced the 
real Jesus with a watered-down imitation Jesus. I want you to know who's doing it. These are most of the groups that are doing it. These are people who've slipped into the church, like the Gnostics did in the time of John, in the time of Jude. I'm talking here about Joseph Smith, Brigham Young of the Mormon faith. I'm talking about Charles Taswell Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm talking about Mary Baker Eddy. I'm talking about Sun Young Moon. I'm talking about Victor Paul Weirwool of the Way International. I'm talking about L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology. They all changed the grace of God into license for greed and immorality, and they have denied Jesus Christ as the only sovereign and Lord. That may be more truth than some of you can handle, but it is nonetheless the truth. What else does Jude counsel us to do? Contend for the faith, he says. Confront false teachers, he says, and false teaching. And then thirdly, call to mind God's judgment. And Jude says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered His people, talking about Israel, delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Again, this is the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude here cites three examples of judgment, three of them in a row. First of all, Israel, second, angels, and third, Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's take a look at them. First, the fate of Israel. That's in verse 5. God had raised up Moses, as you know, to deliver Israel from bondage. He used the plagues in Egypt as a supernatural demonstration of His power and presence. And God took His people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, across the desert, to the border of the Promised Land. What greater act of deliverance could there ever have been? But when they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb came back with a faith-filled report that the people should move forward and take possession of the land. Ten of the spies said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We cannot undertake this. So Israel believed the ten spies, and it was an act of disobedience. And the consequence was that God sentenced His people, except for Joshua and Caleb, to wander in the wilderness until all over the age of 20 had died. So why does Jude bring this up? He brings it up as proof that even people with great privilege, Israel, can meet with disaster before they end if they fall into willful disobedience, if they forsake the faith. Jude warns them that great as their privileges have been, they must maintain their faith lest judgment come upon them. That's a warning we would all do well to heed. So the fate of Israel. Then he talks about the fate of the angels, verse 6. And the Jews were strong believers in the fall of angels. In regard to this, there were two lines of belief. Now, stay with me here. 
One of these, I'm sure, is true. The first one, I'm sure, is true. The second one, I'm not so sure of. But it's Jewish tradition. Stay with me here. First, they saw the fall of the angels as resulting from being complicit in the pride and rebelliousness of Lucifer. And in Isaiah 14, 12, we read, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. That's talking about Lucifer. He fell from heaven because of pride. And then you remember when the disciples returned from doing ministry, they told, began to tell Jesus of their successes, and He warned them against pride. Here's what He said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was warning them about the dangers of pride. So some angels rose up against God and were cast out of heaven. Lucifer was the prideful leader of the rebellion. All right, secondly, the Jews interpreted Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 to say that prior to the global flood, some angels became attracted to the beauty of mortal women, and they left heaven to cohabit with them and so sinned. Now, I do not interpret that passage that way, but the Jews did. Anyhow, if you go with this, in the first instance, the fall of angels was due to pride. In the second instance, the fall of angels was due to lust. So Jude here indicts the angels for elevating themselves, pride, and gratifying themselves, lust. And Jude is speaking to his people in terms they could understand. And he's telling them this, if pride and lust ruined angels in spite of their privileges, pride and lust could ruin them. <clears throat> if there's anything that's out of control in our generation, it's pride and lust. So relevant. Well, finally, the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in verse 7. The third example Jude chooses is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And here, I want to remind you again that I am just the UPS guy. See, I just deliver the package. The truth package is from, from the Creator God. It's not from me. I just deliver it. Well, no event in history ever made such an impression on the Jewish people as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah are used time and time again as examples of the sin of man and the judgment of God, and they're even referenced by Jesus Himself. And the story of these cities can be found in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 to 11. It's one of the most sordid and tragic stories in the Bible. Here it is. Two angels visit Abraham's nephew Lot in Sodom. While they were there, the men of Sodom, young and old, surrounded the house. They demanded that Lot bring out his visitors so they could know them. And the Hebrew word that is used in that passage is the Hebrew word yada. It is the word that refers to sexual union. The men of Sodom were bent on homosexual contact with Lot's two visitors. And sodomy is the word that has been coined for this sin. And soon after this event, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire from heaven. And the location of Sodom and Gomorrah was only about a day's journey from Jerusalem. And that served to impress on the people God's divine judgment 
of sin. So again, Jude reminds us of the fate of those who in ancient times defied the moral law of God. And we can only suppose that those whom Jude is indicting here had some of them descended into sodomy. And they were presuming on the grace of God to cover it. And he wants them to call to mind that sin and judgment go hand in hand and that they should repent or suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Again, I'm just a delivery boy. I just deliver the package. It's right there, eternal fire. This is nothing like achy, breaky heart. But if you think this is a heavy indictment, you better look at verses 14 and 15 from Jude. Here it is. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I'm ready to tiptoe away from this section, but at the same time, folks, listen. I do not want to be in denial about the reality of it. It's just true. There are some dark lines in God's face, and we would do well to remember it. God is love. His mercy endures forever. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we know He tells the truth because of the dark lines in His face. And before we think, we can, get, we can get all up in His face with our pride and with our lust and with our immorality and with our willful rejection of His Word and our disobedience. We, we should seriously think again. Well, finally, Jude directs us with some positive stuff to care for yourself and comfort others. That's in verses 20 to 23. He says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Well, that needs a little explanation. First, he says, build yourselves up. You can't contend for the faith if you're a spiritual weakling. You can't wrestle and win victory if you're out of shape spiritually. And we build ourselves up in much the same way we build ourselves up physically with physical therapy or with an exercise regimen. We build ourselves up spiritually by hearing, reading, studying the Word of God, obeying up to the level of our comprehension. We're also told we build ourselves up by praying in the Spirit, which is to have a prayer life, to pray to God in the name of Jesus the Son. This is personal worship we're talking about. Then we're told to keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for the Lord Jesus to bring us eternal life. And it is in God's love that we rest. It is in God's grace first, last, and always that we are saved. But we have a responsibility, and our responsibility is to keep ourselves in that grace, not to presume upon it. 
keep yourself in his love. This involves daily demonstrating that Jesus is my Lord. But folks, we don't just sit in our castle with our drawbridge up. We got a calling and a ministry to those out there who are in trouble. So we want to obey Jude. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. So if you know people who are uncertain, if you know people who are undecided about Jesus, the way of the cross, the life of the church, say something. Write something. Do something to bring them to faith in Him. And if you know people who are in the fire of self-inflicted suffering and heartache, move quickly to save them. Snatch them if you can, if they'll let you. Make the effort. Extend yourself. And if we do show mercy to others, Jude says, it should be mixed with fear. If we show mercy toward others, ministering to them, to the world in the name of Jesus, we should, we should mix it with fear. That's, that's a warning to us would-be rescuers because doubt is alluring and error is contagious. And pride is cancerous, and carnality is seductive. So, we are to hate even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That is, in the process of going out and doing ministry in the name of Jesus, rescuing people, saving people, showing people mercy. Don't allow yourself to be contaminated by the corruption that is in this world. So from Jude, our final one-hit wonder, contend for the faith, confront false teachers, call to mind God's judgment, and care for yourself, and comfort others.